0: Well, today we're going to share with you the story of Easter. And I know most of us have heard all the parts of the Easter story and know many of the events of Holy Week and the different stations that we look at and the different moments in the life of Jesus. Um, But don't check out on us yet. Um, Our goal for you today is not to know what happened on Easter, but rather to understand what happened on Easter.
1: While the Bible definitely contains information, its primary purpose is not to convey information. It's there to convey wisdom. It's not a textbook given to provide facts, but a collection of stories and poems and letters written to guide us towards the truth. The Bible provides meaning to events in the world. What truth lies underneath that event? What roles does God have to that story? What role do the people of God have in that story? What is to be learned? What's to be confessed? What is to be surrendered, repented, entrusted to God? What is revealed about who God is? This is the purpose of the Bible.
2: And the primary way that the Bible does this is through the telling of stories. Stories that we miss when we grab a verse or two and focus on that. Stories that we miss when we have our own stories in mind already and need something to support what we already believe. So, while it is important today to know the information about what happened on Easter, it is so much more important to understand what the Bible tells us those
0: events mean. As we begin, it's important to state that Easter Sunday morning, the empty tomb, and all of that is part of a larger story. Yes, it's a great thing that, you know, Jesus was killed and now he's alive because we love Jesus or because Jesus is on our side, but it's bigger than that. Easter Sunday is part of a story. It's a story about a trial, and not just any trial. It's a story about a trial for a king, and not just a trial for a king, but a trial for the kingdom as well. There will be testimony from witnesses. There will be evidence presented, arguments made. A judgment will be declared by the ruler of the territory. And so as we go through the story today, ask yourself this question. Who is on trial here? Who is being accused? Who is offering a defense? Who is trying to keep their actions hidden? Who is the criminal? Who is accusing them? Who is the witness who comes, who brings the crimes forward for all to see and to be judged? Our story begins today with a man named Judas, who was a follower of Jesus. He knew that the Jewish chief priests and teachers of the law wanted to get rid of Jesus, but were unable to do so while there were crowds around him. The chief priests and the teachers of the law who were supposed to be religious leaders, the holiest people of all of God's people, had to hide their actions, hide their motivations. They had to do their work in the dark of night instead of in the light of day. And so these religious leaders gave Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus and allowed them to carry out their plans quietly in the cover of darkness.
1: Luke 22, 5-6. They were delighted and agreed to give Judas money. He consented and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when there was no crowd
0: present. The story continues to develop as Jesus prayed and went to a garden on the Mount of Olives. It is there while Jesus is praying and asking his disciples to pray that Judas arrives with those wishing to secretly arrest Jesus. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, quickly pulls a sword and attacks a guard. Jesus heals the wound and instructs his followers not to fight. So this lynch mob of sorts has, comes to where Jesus is praying, looking to arrest an innocent man. And Jesus stops the fights. He heals one of those who were there to get him. And then he tells the religious leaders and the crowd to leave everyone else alone. Once Jesus calms things down on both sides, he calls out the motivations and the methods of the chief priests and the religious leaders.
2: Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns.
0: You who are supposed to be the holy ones, the leaders of a nation's faith, a moral conscience, have come in secret, in dark, to do the work that you don't wish others to know that you are doing. Jesus, having not committed any crimes, is then arrested and bound and led away to the high priest's house. There, Jesus is questioned and interrogated about what he has been teaching. But rather than trying to explain what he had been teaching, he responded by contrasting the secret activities done by these religious leaders with his own behavior. And this further highlights the difference between himself and them.
1: I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in the synagogue or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me and why ask those who heard me? Surely they know what I
0: said. There are hundreds... Even thousands of witnesses as to what Jesus taught and did. Why the need for the secret arrest and the interrogation? His teachings were public. If they were exercising their authority as religious leaders and attempting to convict a false teacher, wouldn't it make more sense to have the trial in daylight with all these witnesses who could confirm what Jesus had said? Unless, of course, as Jesus knew and was calling out, this wasn't about Jesus being a false teacher. This wasn't about being righteous and above reproach. The secret interrogation wasn't about discovering what Jesus was teaching. It was a sham trial that had a purpose beyond investigating whether Jesus was teaching the Torah correctly or not. The chief priests and the religious leaders brought Jesus here to accuse him of crimes against God. But isn't it obvious who is sinning here? Who is looking like the criminal? Who acts in the light? Versus who acts in the cover of darkness.
2: When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the
0: truth, why did you strike me? So not only has Jesus, have they arrested Jesus in secret of night to have the sham trial, but they respond to the truth that Jesus brings up, with the use of physical violence. And Jesus says, if I'm wrong, testify as to what I said wrong. But if you can't testify to what I'm saying wrong, then you have no right to strike me. They
1: all asked, are you then the son of God? And he replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard this from his own
0: lips. The religious leaders think they finally have heard enough to move forward with their false trial. The Son of God question can function in two ways. For the Jewish crowd, it would be a claim to divinity and being king of the Jews. In the Roman world, this would be a direct challenge to the Caesar. Son of God was a title that was attributed to the Roman Caesar, indicating their authority and their power and their rule came from a divine source. And so Jesus, being the Son of God, would upset the Jews, but more importantly, as the religious leaders believed. It was enough to make Jesus a traitor to the empire. So after hearing this, they took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor of the region. They believed he would convict Jesus and have him executed. They took Jesus to Pilate, but the religious leaders would not enter into Pilate's home because Pilate was a Gentile, a non-Jew. Entering the home of a Gentile would make them unclean, and they wouldn't be able to participate in the Passover activities And just so we're all on the same page, for these chief priests and religious leaders, going into the Gentiles' house made you unclean. But falsely arresting and accusing an innocent man was okay. Holding a sham trial in secret with no witnesses was fine. Asking the rulers to execute an innocent man didn't make you unclean. Can you start to see how terrible this story makes the religious leaders look? Can you see how Jesus is shining a light Into the darkness. So they took Jesus to Pilate because he had the power to execute and they wanted access to that power. But Pilate didn't want anything to do with Jesus.
2: Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man.
0: In Luke's version of this story, Jesus is sent to Herod next, and he too found no guilt in Jesus. Herod And his men mocked and harassed Jesus, but ultimately sent Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate again says that he can find no guilt in Jesus. Then has Jesus beaten to see if that satisfies the religious leaders? Pilate didn't find anything wrong with Jesus, yet he was comfortable beating and torturing an innocent man if it might get rid of these religious leaders. So this is what justice is reduced to when the concern isn't for the people involved, but for those in power to keep and consolidate their own power. If there was a religious uprising in Jerusalem, Pilate would have been held responsible and removed from his position. So this appearance in front of Pilate was less about what was right for Jesus and more about what was good for Pilate. And then the chief priests pulled out the trump card.
1: The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law and according to that law he must die because he claims to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid.
0: Remember, Son of God was a name for the emperor of Rome. Not only was Jesus being accused of being the king of Jews, but claiming to be the ruler of the empire. So Pilate asked the religious leaders again what they wanted to do with Jesus. They shouted that they wanted Jesus crucified. Pilate was hesitant to get into the middle of the situation. He knew it was clearly a matter for Israel and didn't really have anything to do with him.
2: But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered.
0: Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. At the same time, a man named Barabbas, who had been arrested for committing murder, was released because the crowd demanded it. An innocent man is set for execution. A murderer is set free. Everyone who hears this story knows this is wrong. This isn't justice. The system of power is broken, and it's visible to everyone. So in our story right now, who is on trial? Whose actions are being held up in front of everyone to see, pulled out of the cover of darkness, or out from behind the curtain of the mob? Mob? What is revealed is the unspoken collusion between the religious leaders and the rulers of the land. The religious leaders had access to power and control because of their relationship with Rome. The Roman Empire had strong influence over the people of Israel because it controlled these religious leaders. And while the people of Israel were desperately seeking God to show up and to change their circumstances, the Roman Empire and the religious leaders were working together to maintain the status quo. The hope of the people was a revolution, a dramatic change in who was ruling. The current rulers were willing to work together to hold on to their power, even at the expense of their own people, even at the expense of their own integrity, even at the expense of their own souls. So Jesus is set to be crucified, not because he did anything wrong, but because men with power wanted to maintain that power regardless of who got in the way. While on the cross, Jesus spoke a few final words. He asked God to forgive the people who did this to him. He creates a new relationship between John and Mary, making sure that they knew that they were family. He declares his trust in God, and then he dies. The devious plot has reached its conclusion. Life can go back to normal for the religious leaders and for Pilate. Jesus spoke his final words, he breathed his last breath, and then died. However, the Bible says that despite Pilate and the religious leaders offering their judgment on Jesus, witnesses to this whole thing came to their own conclusions. The
1: centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man.
0: A Roman military leader who witnessed this whole series of events pronounced his opinion that Jesus was righteous. Or as some other translations put it, Jesus was innocent. But this isn't just about Jesus being innocent. If you ask that centurion on that day, who was the criminal and who was the godly one? What would his judgment have been? And to some extent, I think we're all meant to be that centurion at this point in the story. After witnessing the story unfold up to this point, what conclusions are we coming to? What judgments are we making? There is judgment and condemnation in this story, but it's not against Jesus, but against the ones who executed an innocent man, and the story isn't even finished yet. In a final act of hypocrisy and perversion of religious values, the Jews wanted to have Jesus' legs broken to speed up the process of dying on a cross. On a cross, you die when the weight of your own body prevents you from breathing. When your legs are broken, you can't support your body weight. Death comes quicker. And the reason the Jewish leaders wanted to speed up the process was, um, with Jesus is because they didn't want his body up there on the Sabbath. It would have been inappropriate to leave his body on the cross and forbidden to remove it on the Sabbath. And again, making sure we're on the same page, according to these men, having an innocent man executed because his teaching could upset your position of power is acceptable. But leaving that innocent man's dead body on the cross during Sabbath would have been unthinkable. Is this not a corrupted and twisted view of religious life? Who is on trial in this story? Who is being judged? And then Sunday morning comes, and the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Remember how I started this story? I said these words. It's a story about a trial. And it's not just any trial. It's a trial for the king. And not just a trial for a king, but a trial for a kingdom as well. I said there will be testimony from witnesses. There will be evidence presented, arguments made, and a judgment will be declared by the ruler of that territory. So let's work backward through those statements. Who is the ruler of this territory? Depends on who you asked. The the religious leaders confessed that they served no king but Caesar. He was the one who ruled and to which they were appealing. Jesus told Pilate, who really had the authority here,
1: You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above.
0: Who is the ruler of all? God the Father is the supreme authority over all the earth. The Bible affirms this time and again. God has dominion over all of heaven and earth. He is the one to weigh the evidence and declare a judgment. And he does. A judgment is declared and the verdict is guilty. Of course, Jesus isn't declared guilty. But Jesus wasn't on trial with God. Jesus may have been on trial with the religious leaders or with Pilate, but Jesus went to Jerusalem not to be tried, but to be a witness for the prosecution against the rulers of the kingdoms of this world. He went as a witness that presented evidence before the judge. He went to reveal the corruption in the hearts of those who ruled this kingdom. He went to demonstrate that truth and righteousness were actually viewed as a threat to these men. He went to confront and accuse the corrupt religious rulers and the unjust governmental rulers who claimed divine authority to their positions of power.
2: Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth.
0: Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus came to proclaim the truth about who God is and what God's kingdom is like. He came to proclaim the truth about corrupted kingdoms of this world. He came to teach us the difference between the path that leads to death and the path that leads to life. What evidence did Jesus present? Jesus bore witness to their sins with his very own body. Without warrant or cause, except for their fear of losing power, they arrested him, they slapped him, they flogged him, they mocked him, and crucified him. The abuse he endured was exhibit A in his case against the kingdoms of this world. His wounds were the evidence presented in this trial. So who was on trial? The rulers of the worldly kingdoms were on trial. The systems built upon power, wealth, control through injustice and oppression were drug out of the darkness and into the light for all to see. As they did to this man who was without sin what they always do. The ugliness and depravity of the kings and kingdoms of this world were laid bare in front of God and everyone else. What evidence is there that these powers that rule the world are twisted and corrupt? Simply look at the body of this innocent man. They did this to him. And there is no doubt that he did not deserve this. It is evidence of sin and corrupting power. And after reviewing all the evidence, God came back with a verdict guilty guilty of such brokenness and evil guilty of corrupting god's good creation guilty of oppressing and committing acts of violence against people in their efforts to satisfy their lust for power and control guilty of idolatry for they were clearly worshiping a different god than the one that was revealed in jesus the guilty verdict arrives as jesus says yes or as god says yes to jesus and his way Jesus promised a hope that God was a God of true justice and that God would not only punish those who did wrong, but he would make right those wrongs that were done. This is seen immediately in the resurrection of Jesus. The injustice that Jesus incurred was overcome by Jesus being raised from the dead.
1: Jesus taught that the ways of God and God's kingdom led to life. Whoever tries to save his own life will, in fact, lose it. But whoever loses their life in pursuit of godliness will receive true life. Was Jesus telling the truth about God?
0: The empty tomb is the indicator that Jesus was telling the truth. Jesus said a day would come where the evil of this world would be overcome by righteousness. Light would overcome darkness. Life would overcome death. The empty tomb and the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus, reveal that Jesus wasn't just rambling on with some wishful thinking or some inspirational rhetoric. But Jesus spoke the truth about God. Everything Jesus said was true, and the resurrection was the proof. The kingdoms
2: of this world and their claims of divine authority, their claims that this is how God wanted it to be, the claims that those who had the most power, the most wealth, and the most might were the favored, the blessed, were all proven to be lies. Jesus went to Jerusalem to confront their corruption and abuse of God's creation. God weighed all the evidence, and the resurrected Jesus is God's announcement of judgment on the kingdoms of this world. It is God's demonstration that final judgment and ultimate
0: authority rest in him alone. And so the empty tomb is great, because we love Jesus and we're glad he came back to life. It's great because his followers needed to see him again.
1: But Easter Sunday morning is a big deal because Jesus settles once and for all what God is like. Jesus spent his earthly ministry teaching us what God was like. And the resurrection, we see that we can put our trust in Jesus. We can find our faith in Jesus. We can follow the way of Jesus fully confident that this was the way that God wants us to live. We can follow the ways that lead us to life to avoid the ways that lead to death. We can know what God's kingdom is like here and now, and we can begin to live in it.
2: We can clearly see the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Then we can choose in which kingdom we wish to be a citizen. Jesus reveals God to us in such a way that we can know God in a deeper way. We no longer have to be lost. We no longer have to be ruled by the kingdoms of this world, but can clearly see the kingdom of God and enter into the abundant life that is there.
0: So, For this Easter, we want you to hear the story and know this. What Jesus said was true. You can trust in him. You can put your faith in him. You can find salvation in him. The rulers of the world used all their power all their might to arrest, judge, condemn, and execute Jesus. They killed him. They buried him and believed that the story was over as the stone was rolled in front of that tomb. But his story was not over. Jesus is not dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed.